Hello and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter Pros, brought to you by Branding and Promo. With what's going on everywhere uh, with COVID and how things have really taken off online, it's very important nowadays to have a very good and strong online presence that's well put together. Um, I recommend reaching out to Branding and Promo. Uh, they're pretty good at what they do and they're a diligent team. Check them out at brandingandpromo.com. And thank you once again for sponsoring our episode today. So um, on today's episode of Subject Matter Pros, we are going to talk about the Super League, more commonly referred to as the European Super League. Uh, the news of its establishment was announced just recently in April. And uh, it was initially announced with 12 clubs, six from the English Premier League from the United Kingdom, three clubs from the Italian Serie A, and three clubs from the Spanish La Liga. And the objective of it was, uh, it was supposed to be a breakaway rival competition to the UEFA Champions League. Now, since that news was announced, there's been a lot of controversy and um, it has stirred up a lot of emotions across the whole globe amongst football fans. So to discuss more about the European Super League, and the beautiful game. Um, I would like to introduce our guest today, Shamit Gandhi. Shamit is a kind of guy whose weekend mood depends on the latest Liverpool performance and result. It's been like this for more than two decades. It all started out when that Michael Owen goal at France in 1998. Um, according to him, Owens has since turned out to be a gold digging ex but uh, Liverpool has become his home uh, and he bleeds red. Uh, Shamit is more himself during the summer when the seasonal football break. Uh, but the last pre-pandemic summer in 2019, he managed to catch the Liverpool Reds at Yankee Stadium in New York City for a preseason friendly game. And you know, he's a big fan because uh, without giving her an option, you know, he's eased his... Uh, four-year-old daughter into the beautiful game and to be a Liverpool Reds fan. So without further ado, uh, you know, Shamit, welcome to Subject Matter Pros and thank you very much for taking the time and being on here with us today. Thanks for having me, Kunal. Good, good day, everyone. Thank you very much. Okay, so let's jump right into it. Uh, the European Super League, you know, uh, since this is going to be a fairly uh, informative podcast why don't you please go ahead and you know give all our listeners a little bit of a, set a little bit of a background with regards to what's going on and then so you know we can have a more yeah. conversation so, um, before we go at your intro you said that it was introduced in april well since then it, it lasted for about 20 uh, 48 to about 72 hours uh so all the big names are pretty much withdrawn from it um given the controversy and the backlash that they received from the fans and pundits and football influencers worldwide, uh, the league at the moment is dead in the water. So it, it's not happening. But uh, I think it's a good chance for us to uh, talk about why the controversy and why the backlash and what was so, uh, what the people didn't like about it, what was so offensive about it. Um, it basically went against everything that football has stood for, for the last 100, 125 years uh, that the game has been played. Um, in essence, they wanted to create a closed league and uh, there was no meritocracy in this league. Uh, we'll get into that um, 
why that was uh, in a bit. Uh, but be before that, we need we would want to understand uh, how the football pyramid in Europe works. So essentially in every country, or at least in all the major countries, uh, you mentioned the UK, uh, Spain and Italy there, uh, along with France, Germany, so UK in England and Scotland, Belgium, Holland, a uh, lot, most of the European countries, in fact, all of the European countries have a footballing pyramid where the top division is contested by 18 to 20 teams, depending on the country. Like in Germany, it's 18 teams. Most of the countries is 20 teams. Then you go down a level. Uh, so that's the top 18 of the top eight, 20 teams of the country. Then you go down a level, that's the next 20 teams or 24, depending on how the league is structured in those countries. And then there's, there's about four divisions in each country. And um, in the top division, if you finish in the bottom three, you're relegated to the division below you. And three teams from the division below who finish top of that league come into the upper league. And this goes um, across all four divisions. All this four format works. Yes, yes. It goes down it, through the entire pyramid. For all um, the countries. So it's something that you would see it's the in same, the EPL, It's the same across Liga, countries. Yes. La Liga, Serie A. Everyone has the same thing. Okay. Everyone has the same thing. Um, relevant to the European Super League is uh, the top performers in these top leagues. Obviously, uh, whoever wins the league is the champion in that country. Um, but the top three or the top four, uh, again, this varies from country to country, qualify for what is known as the Champions League. So, which is basically, it used to be the champion of champions or the European Cup. But obviously, over the years, it's changed to increase uh, and accommodate more teams. So it's top two or three teams or top four teams from each country. And for the uh, purpose of uh, today, we'll uh, look at England. So the top four teams from England qualify for the UEFA Champions League. Uh, the European Super League uh, is a was a proposal um, with 12 big clubs uh, across Europe. Like you mentioned, six from England. Uh, the six being Liverpool, uh, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal. Uh, Tottenham, Arsenal, and Chelsea are based in London. The two Manchester clubs are obviously City and United, and Liverpool based out of Liverpool. Uh, they were joined by Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid from Spain. Uh, Juventus, uh, AC Milan, and Inter Milan from uh, Italy. Now, historically, these 12 clubs uh, have the largest fan base. They're the most valued clubs by JP Morgan and other bankers worldwide and other surveys and stuff. So they all have massive valuations. Uh, obviously, if they qualify for the Champions League, uh, their games that are beamed worldwide demand or uh, command more uh, of the broadcast revenue. You get higher viewership, obviously, of these. So the, the, the owners of these guys got together and thought, hmm, uh, why not? you know, get a bigger piece of the pie. So obviously the Champions League has its own uh, broadcast structure and etc. And it's divided according to your qualification and how far you go in the competition and stuff. Uh, now, for a lot of these owners, they didn't want to leave this up to chance. And they said, let's make our own league. We'll make our own, we'll get our own broadcast revenues and we'll divvy it up with, between us. The problem here uh, came here was, uh, that they said we were 12 of us and we'll invite another three. So we're 15 clubs altogether. Uh, the other, the remaining three clubs were, they'd sent invites out to a few clubs across uh, Europe and uh, they hadn't confirmed uh, joining yet, but they said we'll be 15 clubs and we'll invite five more from the other domestic leagues and the, uh, ones that do well. And we'll have a 20 team league. 
Um, this was obviously, like you mentioned, um, indirect uh, as a rival to the Champions League. <sighs> Sorry. Uh, so yeah, so the Champions League obviously consists of the top qualifiers from each country. And this is what they were basically taking away. Uh, again, this came about because over the last few years, someone like a Manchester United haven't, haven't qualified year on year for the Champions League. And a lot of their sponsorship contracts have built-in clauses, which uh, say that you have to qualify for the Champions League for, for certain sponsorship payments to kick in. So obviously this was hurting their pocket, not qualifying for the Champions League. And smaller clubs like this year, for example, a West Ham United is in the Champions League spots for next season. Um, with, and which Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Tottenham Hotspur, four of the clubs that have signed up for this are not. So if they go by merit, of, these guys will not qualify for next year's Champions League, which is what a lot of football fans, a lot of uh, the pundits, ex-players found unfair. I mean, these guys have worked their ass off the entire season to get into those top four spots. And then potentially you're saying that, oh, there is a league for the top guys, but you're not in it because historically y'all haven't done well. I mean, that's more basic- than towards, so from like, I, okay, I never really looked at it from that viewpoint where you're now flashing a middle finger to all the clubs who yeah. never really had a chance to make the ballroom dance. So this was the now major saying, sticking point. Ah, yeah. okay. That it yeah. wasn't so much so just about the TV like, revenue. It was also about yeah. how the, un- yeah, it's not, the it's, tre- unfair treatment of the clubs who made the tournament where now the value of the tournament yeah. is diminished. Exactly. So, um, sorry, I'm just kind of blanking. <laughs> uh, these clubs, while, uh, so currently how the system works, like I mentioned, the entire pyramid. So they play these league games in mm-hmm. their domestic league. So in the UK it would be the Premier League, or at least yes. in England. I'm sorry, I keep saying the UK because England and Scotland are different. They have separate leagues. Uh, so in England, uh, they have the Premier League, which the games happen on the weekends. Same with La Liga, Serie A, everything. The domestic league matches happen on the weekends and the UEFA Champions League games happen midweek. So the Super League wanted to have these games midweek and they wanted to stay in their domestic leagues. So this, is, this was another sticking point that uh, now that it, had the Super League gone ahead, these domestic games wouldn't matter anymore because now, again, we take the example of this current season, the, the ongoing season. Manchester City's pretty much run away with the title. They're there are a couple of wins away from uh, confirming the title. And how so many games champion- are left in the regular season? About four or five this season. So it's a 38-game season. Okay. They play 32 or 33 games. Uh, everyone's not uh, on the same, but about 32, 33, everyone's played already so far. Will they clinch the title with a couple of games to spare? Is what you're they will. They will, yeah. Uh, they've been that good this season. But it still leaves the other clubs fighting for the three spots for next season, Champions League. If you had the Super League in, pl- in place, then once the title is out of your hands, so Liverpool, for example, they were top of the league at the turn of the year, um, but they had a massive fall off, uh, loss of form. They lost a lot of games and they just fell down the table like a rock. So they went down to as low as eighth or ninth. Uh, currently, they're in uh, fifth or sixth, depending on the results of today. But it's looking highly unlikely they, that they'll qualify for the top four. Same goes for Chelsea. They may not make the top four. But 
there are still games left. And if they win those games, they could get into the top four. If the Super League was in place, these games wouldn't matter. I mean, there's nothing riding on them. There's no jeopardy. So that was the major sticking point. That, um, I mean, irrespective of how you do in the season, you're still guaranteed a spot at the top table, which is, like you said, unfair to the other 14 teams in that league. Um, because uh, so it, not just West Ham, there's Leicester City sitting in third place. Leicester City won the Premier League about five years ago in 2016. That was a fairy tale story. Uh, I mean, it was a fantastic story, like your classic underdog, underdog story, uh, coming from nowhere and you know winning the league. It's not easy to win uh, any league in any country because with 20 teams, 38 game season, it's uh, week in week out. You have to perform well, and uh, they won the league five years ago. They've been uh, performing consistently well. They've just missed out on the Champions League last season. And this season, they're pretty much, uh, if they finish the season strongly, they should make the Champions League next season. And uh, to deny them a place at the top table is is just a travesty. So teams like them, like Leicester, like West Ham, there's Everton uh, knocking on the door as well. Uh, there was Burnley a few years ago who were in and around those spots. Sheffield, uh, Sheffield United last season was also in and around those spots. Um, similarly, there will be teams in uh, Italy, in Spain, who would be knocking on the door and then to tell them that, sorry guys, um, you're just not big enough and you're just not, uh, you just don't bring in the revenue enough and you can't be at this, uh, at the Super League. So that was the major sticking point and that's what the fans were upset about. That's what the ex-players were upset about. And uh, another thing that these 12, uh, they've been nicknamed the Dirty Dozen, uh, they said that we will never take part in the Champions League again or in any UEFA organized tournament. Said once we've uh, made our Super League, this is it for our midweek games. For our weekend games, we will uh, play in our respective stay, leagues. Stay in our respective leagues. And they're good enough where, like, let's say if you're not winning the title, say, for example, like Liverpool, like you said, they yeah. have no mathematically, they're eliminated from championship contention. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, at this point, you have no incentive to play strongly for the remainder of the season on exactly. the weekends because now you can focus more so on the weekday Super League matches where you know that a victory there creates a lot more fanfaredom and broadcasting revenue and hoopla exactly. than the value of things. Whereas in a prior case where if there was no Super League, Liverpool being in fifth would have very strong incentive to really try and win the remaining matches so as to qualify exactly. for the UEFA so their season can continue with... Yes, absolutely. Okay. Even with their plan, um, that's exactly, yeah, so that's exactly what you said. Um, like I said, at the turn of the year, they were top of the league, but then they lost a few games. After losing those few games, then there would be no incentive for them to play the remaining games at a high level because they're already out of contention for the title. So they would, like you said, just focus on the midweek game. So that's like pretty much half the season, uh, you're playing meaningless games. Now, having said all that, this was the assumption that they would be allowed uh, to stay in the domestic leagues. Um, now let's come back to part of the reasons why the Super League shut down and what the outrage was. One was this major sticking point of meritocracy. meritocracy. Um, then UEFA and all the leagues, the FA, which runs the football in England, uh, La Liga, Serie A, the Italian FA, the Spanish FA, all of them came out. No, 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 no. FIFA is, uh, runs the international game. Okay. UEFA is uh, the European game, is okay. the association of the, all the European FAs. 
Okay. So FA is the Football Association. This is the Football Association of England, uh, Spain, Italy. They all came out and gave statements and said that if these guys join this Super League, they will be banned from our leagues. We'll expel them from our leagues. So that's another reason actually there that they had to kind of withdraw from this league or shut this league down altogether is because if they're not playing the domestic league, then the only thing they're playing all year is the Super League. Then would players come to them? Would managers go to them? That's the that's another uh, stand that UEFA and FIFA in this case took, uh, that any players that play in the Super League will be banned from international competition. So these guys would not be able to play for their countries, would not be able to play at a European Championship or at Conmebol or in a World Cup, which is like career highlights for many, many players. And that's what they look forward to. That's what they work for. Of course, year in, year out, you want trophies with your club, but you also want international recognition and international trophies and you want to play at these international tournaments. So that was uh, the second uh, factor that kind of collapsed this league. So yeah, that's pretty much in a nutshell um, why this league was set up and why it collapsed. Um, why it was set up, also we could actually go into more, much more detail. Uh, you have to go back a little uh, in history. Um, having said all this, UEFA comes out looking like the good guys, where actually they're not. Okay, so let's, let's be very clear. UEFA is not above board. They're not the most, uh, I mean, a lot of these sporting organizations aren't run very well anyways. Uh, obviously, everything They're not is the good cop. They're just looking like a good cop because Super League put looking, themselves out as a bad cop right now. Looking, they've come out of this looking very good, but actually they're not. A lot of this is, if, is of their own making. Um, so, again, let's rewind a little bit and go back to who created uh, or whose idea this was. So obviously the pandemic has um, caused a lot of these clubs uh, to lose a lot of money um, because obviously there's no uh, spectators in stadiums. So there's a lot of match day revenue that has been lost. Uh, of course, TV revenue is still there. And in fact, that's why they're surviving. Because can, I, can, I, can I ask you to put a quick little timeout? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I just want to ask you. So, I think that would, what is yeah. the main source of revenue for a lot of these clubs? Uh, the major chunk would be from broadcast revenue. Okay. So, um, broadcast what, revenue, and then what would be the second and the third most profitable? Sponsorship, sponsorships. Yeah, sponsorships, match day revenues. These are three major uh, heads of. So of match day revenue. revenues are ticket sales, concessions. Yes, uh, yes. So these, and so of, of course, merchandise is another big one. So is merchandise greater than ticket and uh, concessions? I Maybe. would think so, probably, yes. Yes. Okay, so then you know what? They haven't really, in the grand scheme of things, then they haven't really lost money because your broadcasting is going to be actually stronger because during a pandemic, when you're forced to stay at home, there's not much else to do but watch TV. So, yeah, one but it's not that uh, the revenues. Uh, these contracts have been signed, the long-term contracts. So they've sure. been signed. Uh, the rights have been sold for a good chunk of a good number of years. Yes. Um, so the broadcasters are paying that, and that's it. They're not paying anything above that. Uh, so yeah, they're losing out on match day revenues. Um, match day revenue losses is not that much because sponsorship is still going on. People are still buying merchandise. So sponsorship and broadcast right. still remains. Um, Again, like I said, we have to go back a little bit because you, the way UEFA is structured and the way the FAs are structured, the way these deals are structured yes. is not necessarily uh, the team that brings in the most revenue um, gets a proportion of the, of the pie. pie. It's equitable. Uh, 
which makes sense from a business point of view. I mean, if I'm bringing in the maximum revenue, I would want uh, a larger share of the profit. Okay, uh, sorry. So, so I'm going so to interject one yeah. more time. Yes, I'm going yeah, yeah, to ask you to take you take it one more level lower for us. So before you jump into uh, and go into UEFA's methodology of revenue distribution across its member clubs that make tournament, mm -hmm. uh, can you please answer these two questions as best possible? One, and pardon me if I don't phrase it very clearly. One is: Do all the major European leagues like England, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Germany, France, have a similar revenue sharing agreement across broadcast, because sponsorship and those are, I get it, team dependent and performance. Yes, they're team dependent. But yeah. broadcast, share broadcasting rights from the league. Um, do all the leagues at their country level have similar structures for sharing broadcasting revenue across the member clubs, across all the Actually, divisions? And how is how are those revenues shared? Just so there's a comparison base for, okay, you know what? When you right. have the four levels of the EPL, how does the broadcasting revenue get shared across, say the 80 member clubs that are part of the EPL, you know, plus yeah. or minus, and then across yeah. all of them. Just so when you were, so then this way, when you present the breakdown of UEFA revenue, I mean, we get it that there's going to be, you know, these 12 teams, that decided to collude and come together for their own selfish benefits, obviously have a disproportionate appearance, disproportionate number of appearances exactly. in the UEFA Champions Leagues. And I get it that, you know, some of their matches are given the stardom of the players they've historically had, has just created a lot of stir. So I don't know if it's so much so the teams themselves that have been that as popular at the center of the attention as it has been players because you know like that's another one like you know so I'll, I'll get you to touch on those two points but if you could yeah. please just break it down at the league level how revenue yeah. broadcasting works and then we can compare it to UEFA that yeah be yeah so no uh short answer no everyone's got their own models okay uh, again in each country each league uh each division has their own broadcasting contracts yes so in England for example the, the Premier League or the top 20 have uh, they uh, negotiate their own uh, broadcast deal and uh, the bottom rung. So that's in England, it's termed as the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two. That's the four divisions. So the Championship, League One and League Two have a separate broadcast deal. Uh, that It's actually the, uh, the governing body for those three leagues is different from the governing body of the Premier League. Okay. So the Premier League is, is a body in itself. Okay. Uh, which is made up of the 20 member clubs and the FA. That is so interesting because you know what you can have. So now you have two governing bodies. One governing body yeah. is in charge of three divisions. One governing body is in charge of the Premier League. And I get it. You know what? Yeah. Like the negotiation of the contracts and everything is independently adjudicated and uh, responsible. Yeah. It's, it's different of those two leagues. Yeah. But then there's still migration happening across all of them, which is so fascinating yeah. because so now as a team membership. that has yeah. a lot of volatility in performance or players. Yes transitioning and then you know the, the the profit motive of developing a player selling them and everything else can you imagine like going through different governance regimes never mind because yeah. commissioner exactly. changes yeah see this is very informative because i didn't know that there was so much detail and intricacy involved in the structures of all these leagues yeah so the 20 member clubs of the premier league change every year yes which is wild because now they have to go through different yeah. governance 
Yeah, so essentially, whenever the broadcast deal is uh, is negotiated, it's the 20 member clubs at that time who negotiate the deal for future clubs as well. So let's say like, you know, if, if they do a 10-year deal, okay? So because yeah. like, you know, like, I, I don't have much knowledge about broadcasting deals in football or in cricket or other sports, but you know, the National Football League, American football, I, it's a sport I really like, so I've read about it. And typically in yeah. that and in the NBA, they'll do 10-year deals and stuff like that, yeah, right? So it's like yeah. longer deals. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if they have a 10-year deal for the EPL or a five-year deal or whatever it is, if you just, whenever you make the EPL, you just get that year's prorated allocation given to your yeah. team. That's what it's but If you drop down, which is why, again, so that's a separate conversation. The Premier League versus the bottom uh, leagues. Uh, Premier League is a lot more richer and a lot more lucrative. So, which is why a lot of uh, Super League or Pro Super League uh, commenters kept comparing it to the Premier League. So, the Premier League was also formed as a breakaway league about in 1992. So, up until 92, it was Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, Division Four in England, and all the four divisions were governed by the same governing body. But in uh, 19 early 90s uh, Sky Sports came in and they signed or they offered a deal to the FA and that's when this breakaway, breakaway league happened so that's why the two governing bodies so in 92 they signed a contract with Sky for broadcasting for the next 10 years or something obviously it's been renewed since and now there are new players in the market Sky still exists obviously um, but yeah so that's basically how football started to go wrong. That's when it actually started to go wrong. And that's when all the money things. So all of this is a spin-off of that. Having said that, I mean, there's always been meritocracy, uh, which is, like I said, the major sticking point was uh, the clubs being excluded out and this being a closed cartel kind of thing. It was, it's almost like a cartel. Like these guys say that we've got uh, the viewership, we've got the, the biggest fan bases combined and things like that. So just like, the rest of you all can fuck off and we're going to do like our thing. players though, right? Like, I mean, if you look at these 12 teams, because like I, I get the whole meritocracy argument because yeah. historically, if these 12 teams have always made UEFA, they've also had players like Messi do extended stints, Ronaldo do yeah. extended stints, both Ronaldos. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had uh, the PSG players. Uh, England's obviously put out it's star player, like, you know, like between Beckham and... Um, yeah, there's lots of Rooney. Football, and, know, like Rooney, yes, yeah. that's the other guy. So I can see yeah. like a picture of people's faces, <laughs> but uh, not so much. Yeah, so you know what, like, there's definitely going to be a time where, you know, again, I don't know if it's also these teams' as budgets. But yeah, it's true. It's like, but realistically, do you think that these teams, like once this, like a lot of these, these, these 12 teams have artificially created... Uh, ecosystem for success as well because they happen to have the most robust player development programs where globally a lot of these teams have junior clubs where they're picking up or you know again my knowledge is no i think limited to, to media so i would appreciate yeah, you sharing no, things with me where they're picking up young kids this and that yeah. from yeah. different camps have, they do have uh, junior development programs and everyone's got uh, world-class academies and things like that but uh, the best players, I mean, not, don't always come out of your academy. Sure. And uh, which is why transfer fees. So you go and pick up the best players from across the world, pay massive transfer fees 
and then you've got you assemble an expensively assembled squad of the best players, pretty much dream teams playing each other week in week out, which is what these guys wanted to do. So transfer um, fee, sorry, transfer fees. For example, if Arsenal buys a player from Chelsea, so a transfer yeah. fee would be a sum of money that Arsenal would pay Chelsea for giving exactly. them the player. That yes. is pure Chelsea money. Then so Arsenal yeah. would have to pay a contract, would have to pay additional salary yes. to the yes. player that they to purchased the from Chelsea. Correct. Wow, so Correct. it's really That's expensive correct. to purchase yes. players. Yes. But if all these teams so, are super rich and they're backed by, you know, oligarch money or, you know, a lot of it being oil money and other sources, so again, I'm just, I'm just looking at it from the sponsorship, right? When I see Etihad in Qatar and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so like that's the standard chartered the banks, this and that. I like, mean, it's, it's, a, it's a deep rabbit hole. I mean, we could go down to it and yeah. there's, a, there's a lot. Because again, like, you know what, like the thing is, it, it's important, you know, when, 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 see, this is why, like, the Super League, I appreciate how, when, when you alluded to that it detracts from meritocracy and that is the demise for it. But you know, you, you bring up that 28 years ago, 29 years ago, EPL was a similar story. And you know, that was one of my, and then you also say, hey, these, a lot of these 12 teams were hated. So one of the things I was going to ask you, cause you know, again, uh, I wasn't sure that it was completely dead. I knew that it was something that they were calling on squashing it, given the strict sanctions that they yeah. were going to impose on the clubs and the players that decided to play in this league. Like, uh, was how, what's the market's memory? You know, like this has been done in the past. It wasn't, how much was it chastised then, you know, versus how much is it chastised now? Like, um, when will people forget? Like, these 12 teams are always, realistically, what's their, what's, can you go back and find out what their participation rate is in the UEFA Champions League of the Super League participants? It's all—it's got to be in the exactly. 90s yes, or 100s, funny. right? No, so, no. That's actually, actually is really funny because, so apart from Real Madrid and Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, the three Spanish clubs. Yes. Um, from the six English clubs, in the last 10, maybe 15 years, there have been multiple... Uh, years of the Champions League where all of them have missed out, as in all of them have not been a part of it. Anyways, there's six and England has only four spots. Fair enough. So, so anyways, two of them are going to miss out. Okay. But it's not like uh, they're taking each other's places. There are, there have been other, uh, like I mentioned, Leicester City four years ago, uh, five years ago. So then uh, this, this, this controversy applies more to the EPL then, because like, you know, if you're saying in Italy, yes. the three teams yes. and the three Spanish teams... Historically, no, have been in, stronger in Italy, centers. AC, AC Milan, no. Uh, even in Italy, uh, only Juventus has been an ever-present. Okay. Both Inter Milan and AC Milan have had uh, periods out of the Champions League. Okay. Uh, Juventus has been dominant for the last 10, 12 years uh, okay. in, in Italy. Um, but yeah, in Spain, yes, those are the three clubs that... Uh, Spain does have four spots uh, for the Champions League. So that fourth spot keeps rotating between uh, different clubs. But uh, in Italy also, there are some massive clubs out there. Uh, there's two clubs based based in Rome, uh, AS Roma and Lazio, who are massive clubs. Uh, historically, also they've done well. Also have massive fan bases across the world. Um, so, I mean, let's give this a little structure. So, uh, <laughs> let's f finish with the Super League first. And um, okay. there were a lot of teams that were not invited. That that was another issue. That uh, why these twelve. So, yes, they said that they had three more spots open for founding members and things like that. 
And there were clubs from Germany who were invited who declined. That's another story altogether. There was PSG um, who were invited and declined. Um, PSG for our listeners is Paris Saint-Germain. They're French. Uh, they're, they're French. Yeah, Paris they're, they're French team. Uh, they declined. Um, also, why weren't clubs like I mentioned, Roma, Lazio, uh, Celtic and Rangers, for example, two of the biggest clubs in Scotland and historically two of the biggest clubs in Britain. These two clubs have larger fan bases than a lot of clubs in England. Why weren't they invited? So, yes, that, that was another uh, issue that what is so special about these 12 clubs? So now what brought these 12 clubs together is a very interesting story. So we touched on the pandemic earlier. So Real Madrid and Barcelona have lost massively in the pandemic. Uh, how? Yes, you asked, because they are, they've historically operated a debt model. So they borrow a lot of money to buy the best players and to stay where they are. Yes, the, their model with the Spanish FA, their broadcast model is very different from the UK or from England. Um, in England, it is divided amongst the 20 teams. Equally. In Spain, not equally based on your performance. But like so every year? Every, yeah, that changes every year. It's not... Okay. Based on the performance that season. So if you finish top of the league, you get more money uh, as a champion. More money than, than the 20th, uh, 20th place. Okay. Uh, in Spain, that's not the case. Real Madrid and Barcelona do get the highest share. Because regardless of their standing. Because yeah, of the regardless of, because they, they negotiated the contract that way. Okay. I'm not too sure how it happens in Italy, but I would hazard to guess that it's... A, so the Spanish a, FA and all the other clubs in Spain didn't take objection to that or it's just not as I'm big sure a league did. or what happened uh, where they allowed... No, I'm sure they didn't, but see, that's the other thing. Now, a lot of the outrage has come uh, largely from England. Uh, we haven't heard much from Italy and Spain. We have. There have been this thing, but it's not been as vociferous as it has been in England. Uh, uh, that's no, also Vociferous. That's a nice word. That's also because... Uh, uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona pretty much run uh, the game in uh, in Spain. And obviously, their weekend games don't demand as much uh, revenue or as, mu- as many eyeballs as the midweek games and the Champions League games. So those are basically their, uh, their golden geese. They have to be in the Champions League every season. Uh, so yeah, why these guys came together, we were on that. Uh, so Real Madrid, Barcelona... Atletico Madrid, they were uh, in major strife. Um, Liverpool, Man United as well. So Liverpool has been a very well-run club. Uh, okay, let's rewind. There's a, a bias. Of, uh, I, I smell some bias. No, no. Uh, well, uh, yeah. So let's put a pin in that for a second. Um, UEFA has this thing called financial fair play. So there's these FFP regulations where you can only spend the amount of money that your club generates as revenue. So transfer fees, facilities, et cetera, et cetera. All of your costs have to be like a normal business, basically. They say you have to be self-sufficient and uh, you cannot offset um, costs to losses for a period of more than three years. Like your revenue has to be able to cover those losses. I mean, obviously, I'm not a very financial guy. If you read those documents, you'll probably get a better understanding of them. But yeah, that's the basic understanding. And uh, so clubs like Liverpool, uh, their owners is Fenway Sports Group. They own the Boston Red Sox as well. So they're very uh, astute and, you know, common sense businessmen. They don't overspend uh, or, you know, raise large amounts of debt. And they like to spend within their means. That's how they've run their club over the last few years. 
and it's been extremely hard to compete with the likes of Manchester United, uh, who the Glazers own uh, Manchester United. Glazers, I think, another well-known name in American franchise sport. Uh, they've saddled a lot of debt on the club and they do a lot of spending from that. So they go out there and get good players and buy good players and things like that. Manchester City is and Chelsea are the two oligarch-run clubs in England. Uh, Roman Abramovich bought the club about, it's been about 16, 17 years now since he bought it. And he just threw money at the club. Obviously, there was no FFP when he came in. Uh, so he just threw money, threw money at them and made them a successful club. Uh, Manchester City also got all the Abu Dhabi money. So it's extremely hard for clubs like Liverpool to compete in this climate. With their uh, mandate, with their mandate where they're going to play as per the financial fair play. Financial fair play. Like, hey, which you know, is, we're going to take yeah, the next three years projections and based yes, on what our projected revenue yes, is, this is what our projected spend is. So this is almost like a yeah. salary cap that yes, you would have. Similar, it's sports. not an official salary cap, but yes, you have to control your spending. But isn't and that interesting? Them, because now each team's revenues are going to vary. So the amount that each team has yes, to spend yes. is also going to... So like a, it's, it's it an varies, unfair yes. advantage to like... A, mid or a lower market team because your revenues are already going to be lower. So are, your spending are, is lower, true. which automatically assumes that, you know, short of teams not having good chemistry, you are going to have lower caliber players. And at that elite level, right. half a step is the difference between a goal or an offside Absolutely. or something Absolutely. like that. So which is why these clubs are anyway, anyways, they're at the top of their leagues. Um, so given the pandemic, uh, a lot of clubs like Liverpool. So it seems Liverpool were the leader. So, I mean, yes, you were poking at me for the bias, but um, it very much seems likely that they were one of the leaders. And uh, Real Madrid, with Real Madrid, Barcelona, in England at least, it was Liverpool and Manchester United who were very much for the Super League. Uh, obviously, Arsenal and Tottenham, who haven't been dining at the top table for a while. Uh, I mean, for them, it was like Christmas come home. They were more than happy to sign up for this. The only ones that were a little reluctant were Chelsea and Manchester City. Because to be honest, they don't need the money. They're backed by Abram Roman Abramovich, Russian money, and Abu Dhabi. So they don't they didn't need it. The reason they signed up for this, which, uh, I mean, it doesn't make them any less uh, guilty or less uh, party to this, is that uh, they didn't want to miss out. Like If there's four top clubs from England going away and breaking away, then obviously the value of the domestic league would go down. And then, so they didn't want to miss out on these additional revenues. Uh, the three Spanish clubs and three Italian clubs also were in a similar state to Liverpool, United and Arsenal and Spurs. Uh, they wanted more money. So this is, which is why uh, they signed up for it. Now these 12 clubs are in place. Then there's the backlash and all of the outcry and everything. And then Chelsea and City probably asked themselves, that, why are we doing this? I mean, we don't need this backlash. We need the fans on our side. So they were actually the first ones to pull out, which is then what caused the domino effect. So this is kind of just to get a rough it was understanding. 10 teams effectively. So it was 10 teams, given the huge decline in revenues and understanding yeah. that, you know, if they don't make it to, especially you consider the English teams and not having the possibility of making the UEFA and the yeah. short revenues, you're like, hey, you know what, why don't we do this? And then the big boys are like, listen, our franchise valuations go down if we're a part of a lesser valued league. So in order to maintain our sort of prestige, 
you almost have to play in the league where you know you have to exactly exactly absolutely Absolutely. But at the same time, they they were like, hey, sure. you know, listen, we're just doing this out of necessity. But if this is something where the fans don't want, and we don't want to be a part of it. We See you later. We're good. We yeah. sell enough jerseys. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. with my blue, yeah. the yeah. baby blue and red jerseys I see everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So clubs like Manchester City, PSG, that's probably a reason why PSG didn't sign up. Because they didn't really need to be a part of this. They've got enough money being pumped in. And again, this is all... A making or the root of all the evil is UEFA's FFP. Uh, clubs like Liverpool and United to a certain extent, and obviously all the other clubs in the league, uh, maybe the Milans, Arsenal, Tottenham Hotspur, all of them play by FFP. They do follow the regulations. But then you've got clubs like Manchester City, who, and this is a controversy that you probably didn't know about. So last year, they were found guilty of breaching FFP regulations, and they were banned for two years from the Champions League. Huh. Yeah. UEFA banned Manchester City for breaching FFP regulations. So what City did they find out? Did they just lied about, they, they lied about yeah. the numbers yeah. and the financials? They just inflated the numbers, yeah. So Etihad is also owned by Abu Dhabi. A lot of the Etihad and a lot of their sponsors come from Abu Dhabi itself. So they fudged the books or whatever they did. And there was a lot of uh, yeah. cooking the books and they got caught, basically. But City went to CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and they won the case over there. Um, on what basis? I don't know. Eventually, they got fined by UEFA. It was a considerable fine. It was in some millions of euros that they had to pay UEFA to make it go away. And they got reinstated into the Champions League. So <laughs> a lot of clubs were arguing that if, they've not, if they're not guilty, why fine them? And then if money I mean, can buy your way, and then you could just like, basically now you're just confirming that, yeah, hey, don't so, worry about it. You know what? Like, listen, if you're a billionaire owner, then just put in more yeah, money and so, then you can buy, we'll just pay the penalty and then we'll still continue winning. So FFP went out the window completely. So now how do these other clubs compete with these oligarchs? I mean, you have to raise revenue somehow. For sure. So clubs like United and Liverpool and Madrid and all of them cooked up this plan that, okay, we need to compete with these guys. We need more money to buy better players because in the current climate, we're unable to buy players by balancing our books. Um, so yeah, that's basically how it, it, this is the thinking or the reasoning behind why this happened. So this, the chain uh, of events that led to this happening. But I read that, you know, this is something that was three years in the making. So obviously- yeah. uh, So that's you know, what- so Corona, the, this COVID lockdown has only been 16 months, year. 12 months, yeah, yeah, 12 months now, I guess 13 exactly. months at so, the max. Which so, comes back to your point of how much have they actually lost in the pandemic. So obviously it's probably just an excuse or, a, you know, an eyewash that, oh, we've lost so much money, which again didn't go down well because, hello, you're not the only guys who've been hit by it. The entire world has. So many businesses have been shut down. People have lost their jobs. I mean, it's crazy. And then to come out in this climate and say that, oh, we've lost money because of the pandemic, that's why we're doing this it's pretty much a slap in the face of the people, which is why a lot of, that's where, that's where a lot of the anger came from. So yeah, UEFA, like I said, they're not the good guys. They've just come out looking good in this, but they are by no means good. And hello, yeah, so um, crazy thing with the meritocracy uh, uh, debate. On Friday, so this news broke on Sunday. Uh, on Friday, UEFA, ratified a new proposal for the Champions League. So from 2024, 
Uh, we're in 21 right now. So three years down the line, the Champions League format is going to change. So currently the Champions League format is 32 teams. So 32 teams from across Europe qualify for the Champions League, which like I said, four from England, four from Spain, three from Italy, three from Germany, three from uh, France, et cetera, et cetera, Holland, Belgium, Portugal, Greece, a lot of smaller Greece. teams in Eastern Europe, Greece, Eastern Europe also, there's Slovenia and uh, all of these, uh, hung uh, yeah, Hungary as well is there. So they make up the 32. Obviously, even to get to the 32, there are qualifying rounds. So like I mentioned, Scotland, the top club from Scotland don't make it straight to the 32. They go through qualifying rounds and if they don't do those qualifying rounds, they go to the lower uh, version of the Champions League. So there's another league called the Europa League. Okay. Which is basically for teams that qualify that... Uh, didn't make the Champions League. Didn't make UEFA. That didn't make the Champions League, yeah. They go to the Europa League. So, yeah. So, yeah, what was my point? You're talking about... Uh, yeah, sorry. No, you know what? Like, we've also been very more, like, yeah, transient been, yeah, on our... Just going out in circles. Of, yeah. Um, Europa. So, yeah, that... So, huh, the, the new format of the yes. Champions League. So 32 teams, this is how they qualify. So they all qualify based on merit. So now UEFA's new proposal, they want to increase the Champions League from 32 to 36 teams. So they include four more teams. They want to change the format completely. So currently it's 32 teams uh, broken down into eight groups of four teams each. So in the group stage, you play six games. So against the other three teams in your group, home and away. So you play six games in the group stage. Now they want the team to play 10 games in the group stage. So it's a lot more load on the players. Obviously, this is uh, geared towards generating more broadcast mm -hmm. money. Obviously, it's 2024 because I'm assuming that's when the current broadcast deal runs out and 24 is when the new one kicks in. So they can negotiate a better broadcast deal saying that we'd be giving you more games and more games of the better clubs. In these 36 teams, uh, four spots are reserved for clubs based on historical performance, which you could argue is meritocracy, but again, it's not your, just your preview. So if we go by the current season, uh, UEFA has, okay, uh, we'll hold on to the current season. UEFA has a coefficient system where every year clubs that participate in their competitions and depending on how far they make it in those competitions, they're awarded certain points. And these points are valid for five years. So it's a rolling five-year period where they calculate these points. So that's your coefficient given in a current, uh, in the current season. So they want to use this coefficient system to hand out four spots. Uh, so if you don't qualify by the normal way through your domestic league, and if your coefficient is high enough, you get an automatic spot. So say for Manchester United, who I referred to earlier, didn't make the Champions League a couple of years ago, uh, didn't qualify. Given their coefficient in UEFA, they would still make the competition. So a team like a West Ham or a, a Leicester who've qualified above them in the league. Okay, maybe they didn't make it to the top, top four, but they qualified above them in the league. They wouldn't qualify, but Manchester United would. What if, so you, again, that's all what if you qualified and you were eligible? So it was either or. So basically the no. rolling was only if you... So the you first thing was, the first qualify. line of qualification was normal qualification. In case you didn't yes, qualify so and I, under then, the rolling coefficient system, you qualified, yes, then you would be you would. gifted then a ticket to the party. Yes, basically, yeah. And four, and you would, so, UEFA was considering four of those entries. Four of those, yeah. Again, there is an argument that there is some merit based on it, but again, it's not. 
I mean, it's a again, deviation. Like it's a, a deviation in rules. That's all it is. From what yes. it is currently, it's slightly more, yeah. and then it Last takes into account games. some historical uh, biases, right? Like if there was yes. some flexibility that was afforded before, like you know, that allowed some teams to build up stronger historical results yeah. and build on them, and they have quote unquote an unfair yeah. advantage. I can I can agree to some degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, you could argue your way out of it, but again, it just it's not. Uh, the way football works. Again, see, like keep coming back to this. UEFA isn't uh, the most uh, <laughs> well-run organization in the world. Um, really this season, I keep UEFA. talking about West Ham United because they're doing really well this season uh, in England. And uh, there is chatter in UEFA. A lot of their executives don't want them to qualify because it means uh, lesser eyeballs because nobody would want to watch West Ham versus Real Madrid. They'd rather watch Chelsea versus Real Madrid. Because West Ham and Leicester would be qualifying at the expenses at the expense of, of Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Tottenham, two or four of the clubs that are that were in the twelve. Oh, so the fourth club right now, nobody wants the fourth, like the fourth member. No, none, none of the four are in the qualifying spots. The four of the six clubs that signed up for this Super League potentially couldn't make the Champions League next season. So, so you can see why everyone was against this. Again, just coming back to one more point that we missed out. Um, as soon as this was announced, all of these 12 clubs said we will not qualify, in the, we will not take part in the Champions League ever again, and we're not part of UEFA. Um, so a lot of the history is built on the Champions League that these teams have won. The Champions League's been around for, what, 60 years now? I think 1955 was the first final. So yeah, it's been 65 years, 65 odd years. Uh, which Real Madrid has won 13 times. Liverpool has won six times. Um, Bayern Munich isn't a part of this, but yeah, a lot of these clubs, United's won it a couple of times. City's never won it. Arsenal Spurs, they've never won it. So, for, so Madrid fans, Liverpool fans, they were like, I mean, this cup, uh, this tournament, this trophy meant so much to them. Uh, it's like, you're not just domestic kings. You're, you're champions of your own country, but you're also champions of Europe. And it, it's it's highly prestigious. It's it's what players and fans aim for year in year out. And, and they're not uh, just the winners of like so like you know you're referring to just uh, teams such as Real Madrid and Liverpool who've won the cup. But like think about all the other teams in the leagues and then then the three divisions below the EPL who aspire to win the UEFA. You know like that's at the end of the day that's got to be the holy grail. In European football, holy is, is the UEFA. So if you take away, like, and, and if you're winning anything, you want to be opponents who are considered world class. So there's no doubt yeah, that you are the most deserving champion. Whereas now, if you have a UEFA path where some of these legacy teams that have that everybody knows is you know, it's like saying, hey, you know, you played in the NBA, but the Lakers and the Celtics are not going to be a part of the NBA this year. Yeah, it's like, okay. Yeah, exactly, right exactly. Yeah. It's like all of your history is just, you've nullified all of it in one fell swoop. And which is what a lot of the fans were like, hello, but what happens to all of our European Cups? We've built our, his, uh, the history is built on winning these trophies. And now you're saying we don't want, we're not going to take part in that con competition anymore? I mean, then what history, what is the point of all the history? And that history is what you're banking on for the fan base. And that history is what you're banking on to bring in the broadcast revenue. It's true. So yeah, I mean, yeah. So I mean, a lot of the reasons that they put out were quite were undigestible, basically. 
And coming back to the Holy Grail, the UEFA Champions League is the Holy Grail. Manchester City has never won the Champions League. And their manager is Pep Guardiola. Won it three times with Barcelona. Twice? Maybe twice. Uh, anyways, I'm not... But yeah, so that's... Again, he's won the Premier League in England. He's won everything in England. The only thing he's not won with Manchester City is the Champions League. And the owners brought him in to win the Champions League. That is what they wanted to win. PSG... Paris Saint-Germain, they walk the league every year in France. I mean, this year they've got some competition, but they pretty much walk the league every year. Twice. One, two titles, yes. Yeah. Uh, so PSG by, is, is backed by Qatari money. The Qatar investment group, they want to win the Champions League. This is the holy grail. I mean, despite how poorly UEFA has run, despite all of the problems that they have, uh, racism is another big issue uh, UEFA is failing to tackle. So there's a lot of issues that UEFA cannot uh, are not doing well. Uh, but the Champions League is run very well. And that is, like you said, across the pyramid, players down the leagues. Yes, their teams may not be able to make it that high, but all, there are players who, if they perform well, could you know be bought by a better team. And they would aspire to play in the Champions League one day. There is a classic case of this uh, Jamie Vardy. Uh, he plays for Leicester City. Like I mentioned, they won the, the Premier League five years ago and qualified qualified for the Champions League. Uh, he was the highest top scorer in the season that they won the, uh, the Premier League. Two or three years prior to playing in the Premier League with Leicester, he was in the National Conference, which is below the fourth division. So even in the fourth division, they have relegation. Wow, I so love it. You could create a club tomorrow yes. and enter into the National Conference. And basically, there is a pathway... Of right up to the Premier League and to the Champions League. That's I mean, you may not make it there because obviously you'd need a lot of money to buy good players and blah, blah, blah. But for a player in the National Conference to play the Champions League, it's happened. Yes. It has happened before. So a lot of these players, and then you say you take it away. Well, you wouldn't really be taking it away from them because if they are good enough, they would play for the Super League clubs. But yeah, I mean, uh, that's the kind of merit, uh, the outrage that a lot of fans had. Man, how much collusion... Like, so I, I understand the whole UEFA controversy. Okay, so why don't you please, like, like you know, there's something that we were going to talk about before I really caused you to pivot the nature and the direction of this podcast. Can you give us a breakdown of how UEFA broadcasting revenues are shared? Uh, because, you know, and because like, I want to understand the collusion between UEFA and FIFA on this issue, because that was another thing that, you know, how players in the Super League were not in, allowed to be playing for their home countries as well. Like, so, I mean, some of the penalties that, and these now, these penalties are FIFA level because now if you can't yes. play for Brazil or Portugal or Spain or England, it's a FIFA penalty. So that's above, Oof. that's a different body than UEFA. So, Oof, you know, yes. obviously the Super League had broadcasting revenue distribution, which was effectively, I would assume, based on the 12 super teams you have there, let's put it equitable, you know what I mean? With like small variances yeah. across there. Even with 20 teams on there to make it a really enticing 20 team league, you give everyone an equal share of the revenue, it's great. No, so, how is, yes, how is... so, UEFA's uh, broadcast revenue is 92% uh, of their broadcast revenue, all of the revenue is distributed amongst the participating clubs. Maybe. Again, it yes. goes by how far you go in the competition. Okay. Obviously, the winner gets the maximum, the runner up gets a little less, and then semi finals for performance based. It's based performance based. Okay. But 92% of it goes, 8% they keep for themselves. Administrative, whatever. Administrative purposes, yeah. Also, they have sponsorship revenue coming in. 
uh, which also is distributed. So UEFA has their own sponsors. The Champions League is sponsored by uh, brands like Heineken, Nissan, all of these guys. Okay. So that revenue also uh, forms part of the, the clubs. Shared between the clubs, yeah. Okay, so the UEFA is a quote-unquote not-for-profit entity, if you want to call it. Yes, 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 they are. So the, where FIFA comes into this is, uh, again, uh, just to go back to the bans and uh, obviously all of these were made in response, the statements were made in response to the Super League announcement. Uh, how far they'd be able to enforce it is another matter altogether. But these are the threats that were bandied about. Yes. Uh, obviously, there was talk that they probably wouldn't be able to, like if they went to a court of law or the European courts, uh, they wouldn't be able to restrict the players. Uh, as and from a country standpoint, if I'm a country, why am I going to let my star player not play in the World Cup? Like it would be exactly. absolutely I mean, stupid to have, like, hey, Cristiano Ronaldo, you can't play for yeah. Portugal in yeah. the European. That, that, that wouldn't fly. That wouldn't fly. But as a scare tactic, it worked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So yeah, so like, explain to me the relationship between FIFA and UEFA. And is there has there been a lot of uh, cross migration of individuals in senior positions, like directors of one organization no, leaving to are. go to the other, they're, stuff they're, like that? Yes, they're, they're, now you know to have because why would FIFA come in and put in pressure like this? Because what it seems like is that outside of I, I get the whole fan analogy and everything, and some of the other things like you know the these teams leaving UEFA. Uh, but the biggest thing I think what stopped people was because markets would have eventually evolved and adjusted and had an appetite for the players and have, would have grown comfortable to seeing super matches. Because if you look at it like the NBA or any other North American major league, you know, they're a one-off league and you have leagues in China and Turkey and this and that where washed up, quote unquote, washed up players go to play. You have the MLS where washed up football players come to play and make good deals of money, right? Like nobody in the world in their right mind cares about the MLS except for people who live in North America. You know what I mean? It's just just the nature of things. Uh, so, I mean, when you have, like, it's, it's, it's common practice to have when you have just hyper elite athletes where they are they've proven themselves to be so good. And, you know, I mean, the Super League never came out and said, we are just going to be 12 teams, it's us. They opened, they, they considered the excellence of a lot of teams across all the leagues. Additionally, they threw in provisions for having rotating, five rotating spots to comprise of a 20 team league where, you know, when you have a smaller league, the rivalries intensify that creates more of a rhetoric as far as broadcasting and merchandise sales and the legacy surrounding it, because now you're playing these teams more frequently. You're lowering the risk of injuries to players across the thing, and they still continue to play for their local leagues. Uh, and then, so you know what, there wouldn't be, I, for me, like the UEFA Super League as someone who's not a football fan, just viewing it objectively, I think people would forget about the pain of that over time when they would get a little bit more accustomed to, you know, you would have one season, two seasons of discontentment. But where the bigger picture lies for me is like, how did FIFA come out there and release statements like, we will be banning players from coming on there, you know, like how did all these... How did all these FAs across all these companies be like, you know what, if you play in the Super League, we will ban you from taking part in our league ever again. You know, how did they come in? Because let's say if you put six 
EPL teams in there. Like, A, the other teams, first of all, you're, I guess the EPL revenue goes down, but the sharing of the revenue that's left amongst all the other teams is much higher because you're taking away right. the highest earning teams from the pie anyways. So they're like, hey, you know what? Go make, go eat out of your own pie. Leave this small petty pie for me to share amongst my petty teams. And you still have a chance to make it to the big dance because you could be a part of the five, right? So from like, 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 like there's certain things where I'm like, okay, you know, what kind of relationships did like, or pressures or like how much collusion was there between FIFA and the FAs individually where if it hadn't been for the players not being allowed to play in their local leagues and represent their national teams, just again, initially identified, it, it, it is a smarter thing to do for all the sports owners groups and the players, because nowadays the players contracts are also designed in mind with the value that a player provides to the franchise. It's right. not solely, Hey, come work for me. Right. There's, there's so right. many gains to be had. Yeah. Very, very valid points. And I think these are the points that actually these guys, when they got together and thought of this at the first time, that's what they thought of that. Uh, yes. I mean, there are leagues across the world that work like this and uh, why can't we do it? Um, basically, it's it's a lot of what I touched on earlier. Uh, a lot of... I'm, I'm referring to the collusion MLS, between. I'm talking about the collusion between... We'll like, come to that, but guys, just... Yeah. yeah, and I fully... I completely get where you're coming from because as an outsider, objectively looking at it, it makes sense that these guys own the mo most money. Uh, they go off and do their own thing. And the rest of the leagues carry on and do their own thing. But historically, the way football has happened and the way things have uh, occurred over the years, the 14 left behind wouldn't be able to survive without these six. Okay. Uh, it would take a lot of time for them to recover from them. And the, the six clubs that wanted to break away, their history is also so huge. Basically, on what basis are you putting them together in this 12. It's based on their history. And where is that history created? It's been created in other competitions. Leagues across the world, like you said, in China, MLS. Are, honestly, I'm not too sure of the origins of the MLS. But the NBA, NFL, whenever they came up, I don't think there was anything that went before that. Correct me if I'm wrong. NFL I mean, was a merger of leagues and stuff. But I guess, yeah, you know, there wasn't anything like... There was no history. No. Was, there, there was no legacy. There was they just completely destroyed the legacy and the history that has been created over all these years. Okay. Yes. I mean, if is, you created a, a completely new club or 12 completely new clubs and then bought the best players from these guys, then yes. And made your own league. That's, that's a different argument altogether yes. because all of these clubs are institutions. They're actually institutions. And um, we've not touched on the German clubs. Why the German clubs did not, uh, or decline the invitations. There's two big clubs in Germany, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, uh, that declined invitations. PSG, like I touched on earlier, probably declined because they said, we don't need the money, we want to be part of the Champions League and stuff. Um, but the way clubs are run in, uh, Germany. in Germany, the model is very different. The ownership model in Germany, it's no clubs, it's a, it's a government mandate. No club is allowed to be owned more than 49% by a single person. Okay. So 51% of the club is owned by members, or which means fans, basically. 
So anyone else can buy into the club in whatever, but at a board meeting or any voting rights, 51% of the club remains with the fans. And this is with every club in Germany. Oh, so cool. when the executives were approached, they knew it wouldn't fly with the fans. So they just declined outright. Just that like, is, I no never point. knew that. That is kind of nice. And then, uh, yeah. so like, if you're a shareholder of one of these clubs, like, yeah. is it easy to publicly trade your ownership in these German football clubs? Is it an uh, I'm not too sure of the intricacies of that. Um, probably not. You have to be a member of the club. So you can't sell. It's not a share. It is a share in a way, but it, I don't think it's transferable. Okay. It's like a membership. You go down to your local football grounded. Basically, that's how all of these clubs got created. And then so it's got no notional values. So uh, the ownership you have. And, okay, so the ownership you have in the German club has no notional value. Probably not. Because it's similar to the Green Bay oh, Packers. Yes, so there's like yeah, Green Bay yeah, Packers yeah. of the NFL. They're they're owned by the fans. Mm -hmm. And then the fans paid money to buy the shares. But it's just a, you know, commemorative. Oh, I'm an owner of the Green Bay Packer, you know. So yes, you can get voting rights and you can make sure that the team doesn't go rogue on you and run away from right. the yeah. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's not something you can monetize on. It's just... Uh... No. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know so what? Going back to your point, yes. that, yeah, so it's, there's a lot of legacy, there's a lot of history, which uh, was, I mean, difficult to overlook. You can't just put that to one side and say, oh, we're off and we're doing our own thing and we're creating our own new history. Uh, yes. Whatever we've created in the past is uh, doesn't matter anymore. Moot. Yes. Like, so technically, I mean, that's a, a major sticking point with, uh, I mentioned the Premier League breaking away in 92. So a lot of, uh, uh, since Sky Sports was uh, the driver behind it, a lot of coverage on Sky Sports and a lot of the stats, a lot of the things is in Premier League history. They conveniently forget that the top division in England existed for 100 years prior to them coming in, uh, which is... Again, yes, Liverpool bias in this very much. Liverpool won their first, well, won their 19th English title last season. But if you listen to Sky Sports, it's just their first title. Uh, the first time since, <laughs> since 99. So Liverpool last won the title in 1990. At that time, it was still the old Division 1. Okay. So after it's been rebranded the Premier League, it's Liverpool's their first. The first, one, first time they've won it. Nice. So that, that's it's an argument. So, uh, I mean, technically, it is 19 English titles. And everyone that has any footballing sense still refers to it as 19 English titles, except for Sky Sports. <laughs> so Liverpool does have 19 titles. I mean, uh, so when you go to the Super League and say, OK, I won one Super League, what happens to your Champions Leagues then? You don't. You can't count that as combined, because essentially the Premier League and Division One is the same competition. They just rebranded the name, and uh, the, obviously the broadcast deal was a lot more lucrative and stuff. But in essence, it was still the same competition. That's an excellent point. Yeah, it's like how many times have you won? Because truly speaking, this new trophy you've only won it once, even though you may once. have won UEFA yeah. a few so times. You're, so you're, that, a, so you're, you're destroying change. your entire history and tradition and everything that the club's been built on. Which is why, come back to your point, that objectively, when you look at it, it's, you, it's not that easy for these guys to just break away, given their history. And given the history of football and the way football has worked all these years. Yes, there are faults. It's not perfect. But uh, honestly, I don't think this was the way to fix it. And uh, clearly, I mean, as we established as to why they wanted more money, as in to compete, basically. 
again, that comes back to UEFA and FIFA, like you mentioned, the collusion between UEFA and FIFA. So essentially how it works is UEFA is a member of, uh, member of FIFA. <laughs> so basically, uh, FIFA was basically looking after their own kind of, you know. Making sure. Uh, again, I'm not sure how those uh, work, but FIFA essentially, FIFA's revenues come mainly from the World Cup. That's the only tournament they organize, which is why they are looking at organizing a club World Cup. I mean, it does exist. It happens every year, uh, which pits the winners of uh, the Champions League, the Ball and CONCACAF and AFC Champions League. So basically the champions of all the continents come together once a year to play the club World Cup which eventually the final ends up between the uh, South American winner and the European winner. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that tournament is organized by FIFA. That, that's FIFA, yeah. So they want to kind of expand that tournament. So currently there's only one spot for a European team. So obviously, so the European team, I think there's uh, six teams in that tournament. So the European team and uh, the South American team go straight to the semifinals. And then the other four, so it's the Asian one, the North American one, the African one, and probably another four. And yeah, and uh, I'm not sure who the fourth one is, but whatever. So the four of them. Probably like a Japanese league yeah. or something. Like yeah, they, the four of them do, do a quarterfinal each. And then the winner of that quarterfinal goes into the semifinal with the South American and the European team. And then eventually the South American and European team goes to the final. I love it. So, just yeah. the disparity in talent between the yeah. club teams from. So basically, yeah. So for the Europe, for the Champions League winners, it's like you play two games and you get another trophy. <laughs> so for them, the incentive. So again, for uh, FIFA, the only marketable games in that tournament would be the semi final of the European team. Because honestly, the South American team, again, outside of South America, nobody watches them. Yeah. Uh, so the. One semi-final and one final. That's two games for FIFA to monetize. So they want to increase that Club World Cup. So they want to increase their revenue. They didn't so want, the end, yeah, so it was just for FIFA to have those 12 teams leave from the UEFA because odds are one of those 12 wins the UEFA yeah. or is a strong participant into the future. Yeah, exactly. Or creates, even if you yeah. win, even if they don't win, but let's say some underdog wins, but you go through beating... Barcelona and Real Madrid along the way, and you beat Liverpool in the finals, for example. I mean, it would suck for you, but I'm just saying, hypothetically <laughs> speaking, it would be a yeah. very, the win would be cemented as a historic win because you knock yeah. down Titans along the way. So yeah, the, the, the energy around it, the marketing you could do around something around a UEFA champion. Yeah. So yes, you would lose all of that in essence. FIFA would lose, FIFA would stand to lose some of that. They do. Magic, they would. They? So and yeah, okay. and so like I said, currently it's just two games that they, that is being monetized. They want to increase it, so they want to. They probably want to invite uh, the both the finalists or all four semi-finalists and make the club World Cup bigger. The only reason they can't do that is right now is because the calendar is packed, anyways. So. Yeah. Anyway, so you know what? That was. Uh, thank. I think. This was really, really valuable. Uh, I'm yeah. not somebody who is, I know I don't live under a rock. I mean, I think I live under a rock. I'd like to think so, but I don't. Uh, so I do know a little bit about soccer, more so just about team names and like the 10 players who have like 5 million Instagram followers. But, you know, it was really educational uh, in terms of just understanding how, you know, like apart from just what, 
went down with the Super League, you know, what this really, what was beautiful about, you know, everything you shared with us was you give a nice breakdown on how football is organized in Europe, specifically, you know, like England, where a lot of the controversy and stir came from, as well as, you know, UEFA and everything that they did in this that caused some of the actions that were taken by these teams and uh, off this yeah. we did yeah. a world where at the end of the day Jesus. actually just just another point that we kind of missed out um was the reason the speed and uh, the amplification of the outrage was uh, enabled by sky sky sports bt sport bt sport is another major stakeholder in these uh, in all of these leagues uh, the Premier League, the Champions League, they broadcast a lot of it across the world and stuff. And they have, uh, obviously, a lot of uh, interest in it. Um, so they obviously amplified a lot of their pundits, a lot of their experts were on their channels out, you know, you know out against, this, yes. against the Super League and stuff. The reason it's, it's, I mean, and obviously they said it's for the fans, for the fans, for the fans. We've established that UEFA is not above board. But Sky and BT, they are... Uh, they, they, have, they stood to lose the most because whoever was a new contract, the they had Sky Absolutely. and BT Absolutely. had the contract. Would you have had a similar... Which is like, why... One-sided presentation, right? Because this was so one-sided that it got squashed so fast that it makes exactly. you wonder yeah. that how do you present something so polar to the people? This is yeah, almost so like Sky a Donald Trump a, tweet. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, I mean, in this day and age, media plays a massive part in any amplification. And Sky and BT did it really well. I mean, yes, they had uh, they had their own interest. They had their own agenda. And they put it across that it's the fans that have won and the fans have got what they want and stuff. But honestly, it's not. Uh, so <laughs> let's uh, say it as it is. Um, these guys had a massive agenda because obviously... Like you said, 12 massive clubs uh, going and forming their own breakaway league. It was lose to a huge revenue drop for these guys. Also, it's not like they were in line for the contract for the ESL. Because if they were, I don't think they would have amplified it so much. No. So, yeah, because the ESL was talking about using digital streaming platforms, which I guess is the future. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'll just let you wrap that up now. I just wanted to get that in there, that it's UEFA, Sky... These guys who have been like championing the cause of fans over the last week, uh, they have their own agendas and uh, the fans benefited in the end. But yeah, so like I, I did uh, touch upon the racism bit uh, a while ago and a lot of people have come out and said that, uh, you know, when in fact, one of the players uh, in Leeds United, that's a club in England, uh, he came out and said that when someone's pocket is hurt, the outrage is so instantaneous and so huge uh, I wish that this sort of stuff happened when, you know, when a racist in incident takes place. And he was bang on. I mean, uh, UEFA's response to any racist incident is is very, very muted. So, yeah, I just thought I'd get that out there as well. Thank you. I mean, you know, the right, like, and, and that's something that, like, you know what, I was going to wrap up the podcast, but I would love to discuss this for a couple of minutes. Because, again, this is something <laughs> that I have very limited uh, understanding of. But, again, you know, we're we're our Indian backgrounds have a lot of subliminal racism built into it. Like it how does, you a things. lot. Like, you know, like, like, like between, and, and like, you know, again, like, let's, like racism, I think is, I don't like the word racism because 
it just focuses on one part of the problem, which is discrimination. So, you know, like I'm, I'm gonna use discrimination as a substitute because we could like discriminate across religion, across caste, across skin color, across ethnicity, across like sexual beliefs. There's a lot of discriminatory practices that humans Correct. take on. So please, yep. you know what, as, as the Black Lives Matter movement has been extremely like vocal uh, in basketball and football where there's an overwhelming majority of black athletes. And as a result, they, 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 when, when things happen and recently how poorly things have been happening and with technology, the fact that you can document as these things happen, a lot of these athletes in colored leagues have taken a strong step forward in making people understand and realize the systemic issues of discrimination that are embedded in society. Uh, and then I was watching something on Formula One. It's a sport I like. And, you know, what kind of challenges Lewis Hamilton faced? Yeah. He yeah. tried to He's raise alertness as being the only colored man. Soul voice. Then NASCAR had the Wallace challenge, you know, hockey had again, you know, hockey had some, the National Hockey League had some, uh, you know, support again, just given our close proximity to the major leagues, the other major leagues in North America. But I'd be very curious to know, you know, because I did read, again, like, you know, my, my news intake does not cover a lot of European news mm -hmm. it's um right. it basically comes yep. in whatever is presented to me and i did read a few instances of you know soccer players especially thierry henry thierry henry talks about he a does. lot of racism and terrible words being thrown at him and like including from people from france not just like you know yep. other yep. countries yep. where he's like listen here i am winning the world cup for you world and cup for france. Yeah, on yeah, the yeah. other side like you know when you're on the opposite when you're on the pitch and like things where parents are making it okay to teach their children is to take them to games to say things like this, right? So if you could just share some on, you know, if you could educate me and please give your insight on uh, equality and racism and things surrounding football and how that has been brought to light by some of this. So, is there going to be yeah. anything going forward? What is US? So obviously the Black Lives, Matter, Black Lives Matter movement made its way across to England as well, because obviously there's a lot of uh, people of color in England as well. A lot of the top athletes are, uh, like Hamilton you touched on. Uh, so Hamilton is in a sport where primarily everybody else is... He's the only colored European, man. Yeah, he's of European, mainly European descent. Yes. And uh, similarly, uh, across, well, most of Eastern Europe is actually, I mean, I don't want to generalize because like you mentioned, this prop, the problem exists in France and England everywhere. And maybe it is a cultural thing. So that, of course, needs to be tackled at a systemic level, like you mentioned. Uh, but at least on the face of it and on the surface level, when there are players racially abusing each other, uh, UEFA needs to take a stand on that. And which is when uh, parents taking their kids to games and, you know, will be able to explain to them why X and Y was banned or why such and such action was taken against him. And maybe that's when it would get into the system. So it has to start somewhere. Of course, the cultural and system systemic changes is not just uh, UEFA's uh, mandate. It, it goes down to schools and parents and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but as far as UEFA is concerned, they can control what is in front of them. 
and that is being strict and being strong in the face of obvious uh, racism or racial abuse, which they have been quite uh, weak uh, reacting to. But what about things is, like, okay, so like, you know, which is because you, you bring up a very cool concept where let's say you look at teams where there's, or leagues rather, sorry, your sports, where there's a very good diversity amongst professional athletes, where there can be instances of name calling or perhaps not enough diversity of professional athletes where there can be instances of name calling and, you know, stiff and implementing stiff penalties on the culprits such that the general audience learns to understand firsthand the consequences of poorly chosen action and words. Now, how do you go and extend such treatment to leagues like the NBA? So, you know, the NBA comprised of primarily black athletes yeah. use a certain language, which if a non-black person was to use would be construed as racist. As where, racist. Yeah, absolutely. And, again, and just, on, just on video, because let's say like, you know, if you're hanging out in a cold circle, people of mixed ethnicities could say the same set of things and it would be completely okay because it's amongst friends, the intention is polite. You know, there's, there's, it's nothing malicious. There's no hatred. There's nothing, there's no underlying tone. It's just a word that is used and it's yeah. viewed accordingly. But now when colored, so like, let's say if you have something like, and again, the NBA just provides a great example because, you know, like if you want to eliminate hatred towards black people, then is it okay to allow black people to talk to each other in a tone where sometimes I you can say things because so. like, you know, one black person could say something equally mean to another black person and use the same word and get away with it just because of the fact that, hey, it's, it was, all right, so that, black, that's yeah, got to be a yeah. little bit of a challenge. It is, it is. And I, I think you've hit, uh, you've hit the nail on the head over there because uh, is it okay for them to use it? Or is it not? I'm not too sure. I don't know. Um, or for any race, for that matter, right? Like, for because when, whenever you use project hatred towards your own race, or like, you know, because whatever we take as hate uh, or racism that's directed towards us, and if we throw that same derogatory term towards people of our own race and color, it's a lot more socially acceptable. You know, if you're in a crowd and you see one person of the race getting into fight with another person of that race and they're yelling slurs and other things at each other, at each other yeah. there's a lot more social acceptance of it than and if, if there is if diversity in that, right yeah, and yeah. it doesn't matter what slur is used or how it's used yeah. it's just viewed upon any fight creates uh attention but the use of how it's done so what if you penalize you know like again like the penalized thing is good but i think it's got to be you have to eliminate that from even within your own race because unless you're eliminating discrimination and hate from everything, you like, can't selectively that, that force is, people because now you're actually passively re repressing, aggressively, like actively repressing something. So you're going to start behaving in passive aggressive ways. Yeah. Or you're going to see a lot so more hate crimes and things. There's two great examples in, in England. In fact, a very recent one also. Uh, a few years ago, I think it's been a while, it must have been five, six years, six, seven years ago, a South American athlete used a derogatory term uh, against a French, a French uh, footballer. And he was banned, found guilty and banned. Now he argued that in his native, like the exact situation that you described, in his native country, 
it's a term of endearment to uh, uh, a person of that race. And that there was no intent. How do you establish intent? So just, we'll come to that. But yeah, so that was one example. And there was another one where a white guy racially abused uh, a, a person of color. And in this case, they were both English. Both of them, the perpetrator and the victim were both English. So, I mean, now in these two cases, how do you establish who intended to say it racially and who intended it as just was, wasn't aware of the culture? And uh, the crazy thing is, uh, this the first instance happened about six, seven years ago, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe longer than that as well. Uh, and recently, in fact, about a month or two ago, another footballer from the same country is came to England to play this season. And after a game, after his team had won a game, on Instagram, he used the exact same term. He put it... All right, ladies and gentlemen, sorry for the temporary silence there. I think we have lost Shamit. Oh, he's back. Oh, am I? Yeah, good. Ah, we've lost power. Uh, crazy thing. Oh. So I just, yeah, I jumped on my hotspot. Uh, Thank <laughs> you. I'm on the laptop. So, yeah. Shamit's uh, on the other uh, side of the globe. I'm in Toronto. Shamit's in Mumbai, India right now. So thank you very much for staying up this late and joining on. Uh, well, you know what? I uh, think this that's... Is not this, this is not a normal occurrence in Mumbai before people start jumping. It's very fitting that the, you know, the, the stereotypical impression that people have of India, we just happen to uh, encounter it during our podcast. Maybe it's just a trip in my house. I don't know. I'll have to go and check. Anyways, I'll do that after a bit. So, yeah. So, like I was saying, how do you establish intent? That's, that's kind of the sticking point here, but uh, which is probably why, again, trying to uh, take UEFA side on this, that uh, they've treaded with caution um, and not thrown the book at a lot of these guys. Because intent, uh, evidence, proof, how do you prove that? It's basically, at the end of the day, it's one guy's word against the other. Yeah. But like, so you are seeing, but awareness is being raised even in, across all the football leagues. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like I mentioned, the Black Lives Matter... Yeah, Black Lives Matter made its way to uh, to England, at least, because I watch a lot of the English games. So even till today, before every Premier League game, the players take a knee, all of them. Wow. Every day, huh? I mean, every yeah. match. Every, every, every game. Yeah, every game. Every game. Yeah. So it's uh, one team's ready to kick off and the ref blows his whistle. All the players take a knee. I think it's about 10, 15 seconds or whatever it is. And he blows his whistle again and then they, then they kick off. It's every game in the Premier League. Since, so they're really raising awareness. Yeah, since project restart, since the games restarted after the lockdown. Nice. Yeah. Well, Shabit, you know what? This was uh, an excellent episode. Thank you so much. I had a really great time. And you know what? I would love to have you back on uh, I can't believe the show the again. Uh, flown back so yeah, flown by so quickly. I mean, you know what? Crazy. And I'd love to have you back on uh, the episode because you know what? I would love to talk about next time with you is more on the Indian Premier League. You know what? That's something where it's been around for a long time now. And, uh, you know, talking about, and I really think that the Indian Premier League and the successes of it, given how they started it and everything, because just given what it spurred in cricket, um, I actually had one of my points that I think may have been a little seed in the people of the Super League as well. Be like, hey, you know what? 
the Indian yes. Premier League's yes. got I mean, it. They're I mean, they're the alpha dog of every other cricketing uh, league out there. But uh, yeah, I know I hear you. Yeah. Anyways, thanks a lot for your thanks yeah. a lot for your time. Uh, we hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Yeah, it was great fun being on. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much for thinking of me when you wanted to talk football. And I'm happy to talk sport anytime. Yeah, I'd love to hear the other side. Like you said, European, you don't get much of European news. Uh, even it's the same with American sport for me. I mean, I'd love to follow the NBA and uh, stuff, but hey, it's hard. It's hard with uh, so much on your plate. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't have done it much for it. But yeah, it was fantastic being on. Thanks so much for having me, man. Thanks a lot, man. You have a great day. Well, guys, thank you very much. Uh, and that brings an end to our episode today. Uh, I hope all of you listeners had some great fun. Um, I know it was a, it's a long episode, but we covered a lot of different topics in football. And you know what? If you don't know much about football or soccer, these couple hours, you're pretty much good enough to have a full-out conversation. So, you know, use this as your cheat sheet. And lastly, once again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Branding and Promo, for uh, helping us make this happen. Uh, check them out at brandingandpromo.com. Um, and um, yeah, if you need any digital stuff done, we take care of our website and everything. I'd highly recommend them. They're pretty good. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Until the next episode.